You are in the Grotto Pod. We are in the Grotto Pod. We're all in the Grotto Pod. It's so great in the Grotto Pod. Look around. It's spacious. It's got high ceilings. It's got good light. It's got pokey, spongy things. It's got pokey, spongy things. Uh, if it were a home, you could probably get, I don't know, $1,200 a square foot. If you were it. insane. And lived in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, if you were insane, this would be a place to be where you couldn't hurt yourself. Are you saying that the fact that I sometimes come to the grotto and set up in here and pretend it's my office means that I'm insane? I'm No comment. Okay, good. Today, our guest is Ethel Rowan, author of The Weight of Him, her first novel, uh, which just uh, hit the streets. Is that the correct, uh, sure. correct nomenclature? Hit sure. the streets. Dropped. Yeah, the kids it dropped. say dropped, right? It dropped. It's so like well, a new track drops. Tro- yeah, a drop. Like Do Jay-Z's books? new track dropped. Drop. Book drop <sighs> sounds like the library. I think her <laughs> book pubbed. Hubbed or pubbed on Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. So it's out. It's getting uh, some accolades. She's got a history of getting accolades. Uh, We were at uh, her book launch last night. She's Uh, had a big week. Big week. As as if you follow the uh, At the Grotto pod uh, on Twitter, you would see that she had a big week. You should follow. we, We laid it out. The Grotto pod on Twitter. Absolutely. You should follow At the Grotto pod. Uh, You should also... um, Follow us on Facebook slash GrottoPod. Definitely. Uh, You'll know all the deets. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things today with uh, Ethel and up to and including who does her hair because it's gorgeous. I know. She looked so good last night. I hate to be this shallow, but here you go. She was talking about writing the novel, the process she went through. That sounds boring. It wasn't. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, really uh, I want her to repeat the story because I actually think it's really helpful for other people to hear what mm-hmm. the process she went through. Um, and while she was talking, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have a book launch and I'll need to wear great jewelry and an awesome yes, shirt. Yes, she will. And maybe I, get my hair done. You know, and why have not? Have had it, my hair done before? Well, of course, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <sighs> no Thanks comment. for bringing it up, though. Sure. Um, uh, what was I going to say about her Here I am ta- book launch? Oh, well, you know, but... I got to tell you something. Uh, so it was a book launch, and she was interviewed. Yep. Took some questions from the audience. And By Eden LaPookie? How do you say her last name? I don't know how to say it. I don't She's know. She's really good, though. I thought uh, she was great. She was good. It was a real relaxed type mm-hmm. of atmosphere. They had someone there uh, playing Irish uh, songs on a fiddle, which you didn't get there in time for. I did. I heard her on the you fiddle did, for but quite some not time. not Danny Boy because you would have burst into tears because that's true. how you tell if someone's truly it's Irish. It's true. There was Irish whiskey, though. Not just wine and beer. Irish whiskey and our colleague and friend, uh, Fred Vogelstein, uh, won the raffle and got himself a bottle of Jameson's. He looked pretty happy. He looked pretty happy, Fred. He had just said, he was sitting next to me, Fred was, and he had just said, I never win anything. Poor Fred. You know what's sad is if I told him, you know, if I had won, I probably would have pretended like I didn't win. Why? I don't need that kind of attention. Nope, different kind. Okay, so many mixed messages here. So uh, many mixed messages. I don't want to be sitting in a room and have turn and look. Oh, there's that guy. Go get your whiskey, my friend. I walk up in front of the room and get it. I wasn't prepared for it. I would. You would have seen a very uh, 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 noticeable sheen of sweat on my bald head. I've been the <laughs> one to win. <laughs> I did not want to win either. I know you didn't want to win, but you were off by one. <laughs> I was off by one. Just Fred one. and I had sequential. Uh, sequential. Raffle tickets, and yeah. he won, and I was so happy he won. So he seemed happy. It worked out. You did not win. I did not well. win. So we all, we Fred all went won, away happy. And we all won. We all got what we needed. Um, so we're going to dive into some pretty, I think with Ethel, though, we might get into some pretty deep stuff because yeah. her book is, is it's a pretty heavy book. I noticed at one point she brought up 
uh, telling people who said, oh, I bought your book, that she didn't feel comfortable saying enjoy it. Right. Because uh, she doesn't consider it really an enjoyable experience. So I would argue that point. You know, I was talking to her about that today because... Uh, she said she saw on some book blogging site that someone said it's a great book to curl up with this winter. And the reason we're saying this is because <laughs> the book fluffy? centers around the reason we're saying it might not be what you want to cuddle up with. It centers around the suicide of a teenage boy mm-hmm. and his father's reaction, which sounds like a downer. But the and thing is it's sort of inspiring in its own way. And as well. there are people like myself. I was saying to her, I like to, in a way, cuddle up to that deep emotion, even though it's sorrow. Mm-hmm. There is something I find really beautiful and sustaining about that. And so I get why this book blogger who, you know, that might be what they meant, maybe not. But um, I also see Ethel's um, reticence about promoting it as some kind of happy read. It's not happy read, but it's It's literary. Yeah, but it's a literary novel. It's a real thing. I mean, that's it, basically. Right. I mean, do people read Cormac McCarthy? I'm not comparing this to Cormac McCarthy in terms of darkness in any way. Uh But people love those novels. It's not because they are filled with joy at the apocalypse or... You know, I, I mean, I would I would categorize it as I mean, there's some, and I'm not a real um, I'm not a real snobby reader. No, I don't think I am either. I'll read crap, but there's definitely t- time and place for everything, and there are times and places where I want to read a novel that I can just sit and chew on for a while. You know, that will unfold at a pace that is is measured and 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 confident, and it's not farcical, it's right. not comedic, right? Nothing crazy. Oh, it is so wacky. Uh, and it's just real nice to go back to that and just really go, yeah, now I'm, it's like eating a great but understated dessert. It's satisfying. Yes, it's very satisfying. I found it very satisfying. I really enjoyed The Weight of Him as the name too. of the book. And I did not find it depressing. Um, well, let's not waste all of I this uh, kudos I did cry. without Ethel being in here. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go get her. I'm going to go get Ethel. Bring her on in. There she goes, going to get Ethel. Welcome to the Grotto Pod, Ethel. Thank you. First impressions of the Grotto Pod? <laughs> it's a little claustrophobic. A little claustrophobic. Um, We're sweating. You're sweating. Oh, it's just oh, going to yeah, get everybody worse. Everybody sweats in the Grotto Pod. Um, I will say first that you, uh, so far, have the distinction of having the biggest handbag brought into the Grotto Pod <laughs> yet. I'm so <laughs> glad you said handbag, Larry. <laughs> handbag, purse. As my well, mother used to say, pocketbook. Pocketbook. I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah, it's a little old school. I will say there have been bigger. Uh, now I want to say pocketbook. What did he say? Handbags. handbags. There have been bigger handbags, but we we asked them to be left outside. You are the first bold enough to bring your large <laughs> handbag into uh, our palatial park. expanse. So uh, we're coming off the heels of your book launch party. Woo-hoo. Yes. And is, we it, wanna... is it a little fumey and boozy in here right now? <laughs> It's not me, Ethel. It's not me. I went home afterwards. We've already mentioned the whiskey that was yes. served and won. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think more than that, we want to focus on the book and on you. Oh, thank you. It's I all think... about you tonight. It's all about you tonight. Uh, you know, it's a long time since I've heard that. <laughs> well, last night was all about you, too. Was that? Is it weird to have it all be all about you, or was it fabulous? Yeah, let's start there. Was so, it fabulous? Let me put this in a, in a like uh, learned podcaster style, you have put in quite a few years of work. Yes. 
And you have said, I've heard you quote an interview that this book itself was 10 years in the making. From seed to now, yes. So we all toil in obscurity. Yes. You are emerging from that obscurity. You have a novel now. You got shortlisted for a prize that all I heard was Times. Uh, yeah, the Sunday Times. Longlisted. For, longlisted. Um, yes, for Britain's the Sunday Times. I have to interject and say she was longlisted for the Sunday Times the same week her novel published. Yeah. That's that was nice. a movie. And let me tell yes. you something. This is coming from nice. someone who it's likely that Oprah is reading her book as we speak. Woohoo! I don't think yeah, so. I think Oprah's, or maybe her minions. Anyways, my point being... <laughs> So merge out of this chrysalis, how does it feel? Is it, it got to be a lot of different conflicting feelings, right? It has. I, I, I think I've, I've been very involved in the literary community. You know, I've read a lot in the past. I've attended lots of readings, uh, conferences, that type of thing. I teach writing. So it's not so much that I'm unfamiliar or uncomfortable speaking in front of people, um, but it's always felt like somewhat of a chore or it's like the least part of the writing life that I like. Um, you know, those best moments, I think it's true for all writers, are when I'm alone in my room tapping away and I've hit on a vein in the work and I'm transported and I'm very much in that world. And, uh, you know, everything else just ceases to exist. Um, so the, the public self, putting myself out there, not so much. But I have to say, last night, whatever whatever magic transpired, uh, or maybe I'm just at a point personally where there's been enormous growth, uh, but I felt really comfortable. I actually enjoyed myself, and I honestly You seem pretty thought, comfortable. Yeah. I never thought I'd say that. I never thought I'd get to that point. Um, having an amazing interviewer like Eden Lupucki, certainly. Um, she was great. She was fantastic. <clears throat> Just beautiful chemistry yep. and the whole room, the chemistry. I mean, I really felt supported. And that's kind of where I was going with that because you've done, sure, you've done reading, sure, you've taught, but that was sort of an affirmation. It was yeah, a party. It, it was. It was a party. It was a celebration. That was that was my approach to it. And I suppose that's you know that's the Irish woman in me. Everything you know, we, we any occasion to celebrate, and we take Death. full advantage. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think things have just come together, and I think I am much more grounded and much more comfortable in my own identity as a writer. And I, I had some mm. friends there last night that I've known for. 20 years that came up to me afterwards and were like, wow, you know, we did not know that side of you. Very poised. <laughs> Thank you. I Thank think you. of you as, uh, maybe Should not... Should me later, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Less poised. Yes. See, I was saying, I didn't get invited to the after Jefferson, party. Uh, you don't have to be invited. No, uh, you get, you no. know, maybe I'm a vampire. Have you ever thought of that? Maybe uh, I can't no. enter the room unless I'm I invited. I have not thought of that. It could be. But I, it's interesting because last night I was thinking, I have... I've that, I've seen you read one other time when um, Cut Through the Bone came out, and I thought you were very poised. I thought it was a beautiful reading, but there was something last night. I thought I always think of Ethel as a little shy or at least reserved, and there just was this kind of exuberance yeah. that was so contagious. It was oh, fabulous. I just felt you. so happy to be there and mm-hmm. and excited. Thank you. Yeah, I, I I felt it too, and and I God, I hope it wasn't a fleeting. <laughs> Moment, you know. I hope I can really hold on to that. Um. So, let's go backwards. Okay. Just, just go backwards. Why not? <laughs> um, first, I have to ask you a question. Yeah. This is just really apropos of nothing. Okay. Is me liking the Pogues 
kind of like going to Australia and getting fosters? Go ahead. Just give it to me. Give it to me straight. I, well, I'll tell you, I love the Pogues. Oh, okay, me good. too. Oh, good. Fairy Thank tale God. of New York. Oh, oh my God. Greatest yeah. love it, love song it, love ever. It. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Shane McGowan, I mean, he's he's an interesting character. Yeah. I don't know him personally at all. I, I know, I, I I know all you as people well know as each you other. do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, is he the best ambassador for the Irish? I don't know, but... He's he's brilliant, you know. But to me, I think what's so c- compelling about him is it's we're drawn to tragedy, right? And there's, he's right. such mm-hmm. a tragic character because I think you know how much was the brilliance diminished, you know, right. by right. his addiction. Yes. But of course, to you know a young boy romantic like I was, yeah, you just think unfortunately it's actually enhanced that's by right. the addiction. Yeah. And, like, and, and I think he believes that too. Yeah, he know? never outgrew it. Yeah, exactly. Here's the ruined yeah. Irish poet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's something just so compelling about that, and yeah. and, sad. and sad, and sad. But there is a little something there that reminds me of your book, "The Weight of Him," which is that it is a sad story, mm-hmm. but it is very compelling, and it is very attractive on a level that's hard for me to explain as a reader. Uh, it's not a morbid attraction, but there's something very thrilling about coming up close to characters rawness like that that is very humanizing and um uh, i don't know what the right word is but affirming of my own humanity right right i think humanizing is a good way to put it because i mean we all have our masks oh right and his seems to be taken away you want to say a little bit about I, – I don't want to give away any plot points myself, I know, but you tough. can say whatever it's, you want. Is, I've noticed it is yeah. really hard. This is uh, like the sixth or seventh time we've had people in here and people with new books. I'm finding it is hard. Like, let's just talk about the book and just tell me about the ending. It was awesome, right? Right. right. Don't want to yeah. do that. Like, yeah. it, uh, maybe I'm not that poised. No, no, no spoilers. <laughs> no right? spoilers, yeah. I feel like Larry was just doing me. <laughs> I talk pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, the book. So the book is, is set in Ireland. Um, it's uh, about Billy Brennan and the Brennan family. Um, five weeks before the book opens, they've lost their seventeen-year-old son, Michael. Can I cut in here for a second? Because I had a question last night yeah. during the writing of this book. Did you write any s- scenes with Michael alive? Yes. Yes. Um, Did you intend to keep them in the book, or was it just to give background? Uh, it was for me. It was for me to get to know Michael, to to kind of tap into his character, and, and so much around suicide are the unanswered questions, you know, so the mystery, the why, why, why. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is so heartbreaking and devastating, and that was a really tricky part of the book because it was, you know, how much do I reveal? Um, and you know, thinking of the reader and wanting to give them a satisfying read, but ultimately deciding to go toward, uh, you know, truth and honesty and what I know to be true of suicide. And that is, for the most part, uh, suicides leave behind way more questions than they do Mm -hmm. answers. And so I had to stay true to that. Um, But absolutely, I wrote so much about Michael, and and I think that came up last night, that I love him. And, you know, Mm -hmm. he's he's dead uh, before the book even begins. Uh, But I really got to know him and, and for me to learn through writing him and seeing that, hey, he's a singer-songwriter. And there was something about that that, again, kind of broke my heart. It also spoke to, so uh, full disclosure, everyone sitting in this room has teenagers. Right. Yes. It was hard. So it also spoke to this idea of, well, how much do we really know our kids? And Let me just they- say that during the course of reading your book, every time I finish a chapter, I texted my 19-year-old oh. son and said, are you okay? 
Yeah. Just to make sure. Yeah. It, it did bring up one of my biggest parenting fears, which is that there is something in their life, and you mentioned it in your own biography, mm-hmm. that I don't know, yeah. and it's a burden, and I don't know what it is, and they're wrestling with it by themselves, yeah. and something terrible could happen. Yeah. It also speaks to the fragility, you know, especially with uh, my son's 3,000 miles away at college. And bad news is just a phone call away. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know what's going on. I know. I know. You know, you hear that I heard a story in the news about a month ago. Some kid was at a party and fell down a flight of stairs and that was it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It happens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We do not know the moment. But, you know, you know, if we've mentioned affirming. I think, you know, is it not better to have an awareness, like our awareness raised that, yes, there are so much we don't know about our own yes. flesh and blood. You know? Right. I talked last night as well about, you know, losing my parents, both of them, within three months of each other um, oh, right. three years ago. And this strange part of the grieving process, and I know you recently lost your mom, where you realize, like, how much do I know about my own parents? Yeah. And it's it's sort of shocking. And I, and I, I didn't know their dreams. I didn't know their favorite colors. Like, it's just this really bizarre thing. Um, and so... You know, a book like The Weight of Him, you know, it's not the worst thing if a parent reads it and goes, I need to check in with my kids. Yeah. yeah. I completely agree. Absolutely. But I cut you off as you were describing the book itself. Yes, yes. So it is, it's about the, the Brennan family. And, and, you know, we talk in writing about, you know, particularly with a novel, what's the central question? Mm-hmm. And the central question that I set out to answer in the book is, you know, how do they carry on? Um and and I'm grateful to the characters because they each, you know, the mother, the father, the three children, even grandparents, they each had pretty interesting, at least to me, and I hope to readers, uh, ways of responding, um, ways that I think were atypical, but were all the more true and honest in, in being, you know, atypical of what we experience. Because grief is so unique, right? Where each individual's families are, they've got so much chemistry and dynamics and so much going on. And so it got really messy, but life is messy. Family is messy. So I know, and I'm not going to make you tell the story again about how you overheard someone 10 years ago yeah. talking about yeah. the weight of their, or what is it? If the grief doesn't kill her, her weight will. Yeah. Um, but I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about why you chose to write about grief. Mm. Well. Because <laughs> I also heard you say last night that someone said, oh, I got the book. And you said, oh, I don't feel like I can say have a good enjoy. time. Yeah, yeah enjoy exactly. it. Exactly. I hope you enjoy. <laughs> yeah. You know, why do we write what we write? I don't know. Um, Adele, Adele, that amazing, amazing singer, songwriter, you know, she said, she said, oh, I've got a great sense of humor. You know, I, I think I'm a very positive, upbeat person, but I put all my heartache, you know, in, into my songs. And I think there's some of that going on with me, you know, with Cuts Through the Bone, my first collection came out. You know, I had the school principal <coughs> at my daughter's schools looking at me going, <laughs> right. You know, like you seem like the most positive person, and you're always smiling, and, and and of course that's true, and and that's authentic, and that's that's a part of who I am, but it's not the whole of who I am. And you know, one of the very personal things that I brought to this book that people, most people, don't know about me is that I have my own struggles with anxiety and depression, and I I did uh, go through a period of feeling suicidal uh, over many many months, if not you know, almost two years when I think back on it. And so, you know, that's very real and that's honest. And and you can be all those things. You know, I was still highly functioning. I was still presenting a very collected, Mm -hmm. 
face. You talked about masks. Like, I, you know, I'm a really good actor. And sometimes it, I, I always come back to it. It doesn't even, it's not necessarily a mask. I mean, even Kurt Cobain laughed. Yes, exactly. Yes. He yeah. wasn't always. Uh, yeah. But yeah. that's an interesting point you bring up. And I think it may be, ex- I don't want to say exclusive, but more likely in fiction writers. One thing that I've found since I joined the Grotto was matching up the people at lunch with what they write. Yeah. Oh, I know. Isn't it so <laughs> oh, interesting? So fun. Yeah. It's kind of crazy sometimes. Like, whoa, I had no idea they had it in them. You know? Right. But one thing that happens in the book that I really recognized, at least in the Irish American community, is the idea that you don't make a spectacle of yourself. You don't right. call attention to yourself. You don't. And you use a kind of black humor to cover over emotion yeah. and sadness even yeah. and that um, too much sadness or even too much happiness is a kind of high drama right. that you shouldn't be doing right. and I really, sorry I dropped my notebook and I, that really resonated for me and it makes but, but at the same time that is also forming the person so when the mother whose name I can't remember now Trisha, Trisha when Trisha it wants to carry on it's not just because she's buried something and she's not facing up to it where Billy is, that's who she is. That's how yeah. she's become that person. Exactly. And I don't. I didn't feel less of her for not being willing to go there. Or I didn't think she wasn't willing to go there. That's right. not who she is. See, right. and of course, yeah. as a Jew, yes. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. <laughs> like, how can you, to how can you do this, man? Yeah. How can you just be that way? Yeah. That's not how we roll. Yeah. But... um. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, oh, Trisha, and I loved her too. I, I mean, you can feel that. That's fantastic. That's, yeah, but it also takes a while as a reader to understand that's her processing. Exactly. Yeah, that's how I, it yeah. works. You know, yeah, I looked at that book and I looked at my characters, and I, I definitely took risks, and and I worried for them not only within the context of the story, but I worried for them, you know, how they will be in the world, you know, as readers respond to them. Mm-hmm. But again, I just kept coming back. For me, my sort of bar, if you will, is, you know, what's the most truthful? And it was, you know, I'm not going to make Trisha be other than who she is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and this this term of like the unlikable, you know, for me, she's just Trisha. Well, Billy Brennan is a very sympathetic character. What were his sins when Michael was alive? You know, I think that's something that the book asks, because I think that's something that he's asking himself. And I think that's something that's sort of festering within the family mm-hmm. dynamics. Of there was a little bit of sense of maybe he was a little checked out. Exactly. For sure. For sure, because he was checked out of himself. Right. So therefore, that permeated everything His giant else. sweats. Yeah. Yeah. He wore those to work? Yes. Okay. <laughs> what we haven't said is what his quest becomes. Right. Yeah. So he's 400 pounds, and he decides that he will shed half his body weight. He's going to lose 200 pounds, and he's going to do it publicly. He's going to receive donations for every pound he loses, and he's going to donate that money to suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. So it gets back to, Bridget, what you're saying, like this idea of which really resonates for me, that idea of you know, my culture and my childhood and, and the various messages, you know, telling me, you know, to stay small, stay quiet, right. uh, don't go beyond the limits of, of who you are. And that's all determined by class and and so many factors, gender, the whole thing. Um, and so Billy is very much a victim of that as well. You know, that he there's very low expectations for Billy. Right. Mm-hmm. He works in a factory. Yeah. yeah. But not only that, he's also expected to remain fat. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
Because, well, yeah. And it's really interesting because I, 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 I've... That's I, who he is. He's Big Billy. He's Big Billy. And, and I, I, oh. I, I overheard a conversation years ago. Here, here I am again, snatching and stealing from conversations. But an addict saying how he was an alcoholic and how his friend wanted him to stay an alcoholic because he fulfilled a function and a role right. within that dynamic, within the community, even within his own family where it's... No, you don't change, you know, because then that'll have a domino effect. What do we do with him now? Completely. What do we do with him now? And then what do I do with me? You know, if if he improves himself and he grows and expands as a person, shit, <laughs> I might have to do the same. You know, so there is a certain amount of we we sort of police. It's very political, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we have our communities and our circles and our dynamics, and we think that we're not perpetuating them, but we very much are. But not even... In an apolitical way, too, there's just things we count on and get comfortable with. Yeah. There's there's Billy. He's the big fat guy in the sweats. Yeah. I'm comfortable yeah. with that. Yeah. Oh, that, absolutely. That will not change. Exactly. Yeah. I'm really curious about, you know, when you say get, uh, sort of get comfortable with or who you are in the world, I wonder if that's why when I read Irish writers, I always enjoy novels set in Ireland. And part of it is I have a kind of recognition of things because I was raised in an Irish American community, but how is that possible? Why would there be over generations something that remains? Why would that be? It's so strange. And yet it comes up for me over and over again. I feel a lot of identification with your book, with other books. And yeah, is it is it these prescribed roles that get passed down from generation to generation. It's not enough to say it's Catholicism. There's lots of right, Catholic right. cultures. I, I think just so much of it is, it is that so much is universal. You know, mm, we, we had a true. conversation earlier and, um, you know, Lee Kravitz was saying, you know, basically I'm a Jew from Texas and I'm really relating to, you know, oh, right. Julie Hamesley cut uh, forthcoming memoir, which is... Uh, about Texas or about Jews? Hers? Uh, yeah. Hers is why neither. It was about oh. race, but it was like he, he was able to identify with that feeling of, of being the other in a very different way, obviously, mm. but with that pain, you know, that comes from the, I, I felt marginalized, I felt shut out, that kind of thing. So, but on so the, but there's on, a bigger... Right, but on the flip yeah, side yeah. of that, there is also sort of a tribal affiliation. Of course. That yeah. you will feel. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think... I. As badly as my sister wants to think that the Kennedys dropped her on our doorstep one morning, (laughs) you get us around a bunch of Jews. I'm like, yeah, that's us. Does she have big horsey teeth? No, she doesn't. I'll tell her that. Is that a Kennedy trait? Oh, yeah. I think think that's... big horsey teeth and a very strong jaw. I think, yes, I do. Well, since we're talking, since we're talking ethnic identity here, um, there was a question asked last night that I wanted to ask. Um, yeah, we talked about it before, before the question was asked. And then when it was asked, Bridget and I looked at each other. Thanks. Um, <laughs> we've had other writers in here who wrote about the immigrant experience. And then we did the math and went, well, you're, the, you're an immigrant. Yeah, I am. You're an actual immigrant, but you choose. I don't want to say it's, make it as cut and dried as you, choose to set, you chose to set the novel in Ireland because you, uh, you, your response was, my next one's not going to be in Ireland. Yeah. But you chose to write... Not about the immigrant experience, but the old country experience. Right. Instead, give me a little background on that. Uh, I, I think, honestly, it's it's not something that has been conscious. Uh, it's something that a lot of people have asked me about, though, and, and it, they're not just asking about it. They're asking for it. I'm surprised that a lot of people ask you about it. I'm not. Don't you think immigration is just on people's minds? Yeah. Maybe not Irish immigration. Maybe not. But even even... 
Irish people, like when I go back there and, and, and they've, mm. you know, they've read my first two story collections and they're like, great, great. But we would love to hear about your immigrant experience. We would love oh. to hear about, you know, life in San Francisco and the Bay Area and that kind of thing. So, Oh, I can see that, though. Yeah. Yeah. I can yeah. definitely you, see that. So do you feel like here your identity, the way you're perceived is not as, oh, there's Ethel, the immigrant. It's, oh, there's the Irish girl. It's very much the Irish girl. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't think. And, and because... You know, the immigrant experience, like I, I had a very privileged experience. I think most white immigrants were English as your first, you know, spoken language. Right. It's a very, very different experience. And I will say being Irish, like you're almost automatically embraced. Like I've never met anybody that went, oh, you're Irish. Yeah, you're Irish. Oh, you're Irish. What was the, you know, totally. this is an instant <clears throat> That's a fairly of, recent thing, though. You know, what was this a no dogs or Irishman? I know, I know, I know. And it's no, and I, I am very much aware of that. No, Irish need to apply. That was that was very much there. But I think for my generation, and even going back, you know. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, long time. There has been this sense of, you know, we all want to be Irish for a day at least. You know, <laughs> yeah. Also, I was thinking when you asked about the Pogues, do you think if we were interviewed for an Irish podcast, people would be as charmed by our accents as we are by Ethel's? Heck no. I don't think so. No way. I don't think so. And I don't even have much of an accent And maybe anymore. there's something about Ireland, you know, like even like, you know, it's it's the idea of a Jewish guy thinking, ah, the ruined Irish poet. It's yeah. so romantic. Yeah. Yeah. There is a romanticism for sure. And you know, you look at it's a tiny, tiny island, and you look at its history, and it's you know, it, it was colonized. Uh, you know, it, its language and culture were almost entirely erased, and, and I think there's something that captures the imagination about, you know, um, the rebel, if you will. You know, the Irish, the wild rebel. Irish and rebel. It, yeah, yeah, and 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 persevering and resistance, <laughs> and you know, topics that are badassery. Well, yes. also, I, I hope relevant. this doesn't mm-hmm. come out I sounding agree. wrong, but there's also a sense of being doomed too. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is the, the morbid. But, but continuing, that, persevering. Exactly. Despite, despite being despite, hopeless, ultimately yes, hopeless. Yeah. And I think maybe something really interesting about, you know, how how do we sustain ourselves, you know, through all of that and looking at that. And, uh, you know, you talked about how you still feel very much, you still very much identify with Ireland and the characters and the mm-hmm. culture and whatever. And I just think there is something as well about Ireland having almost been erased where you're so desperately holding on to something. There's something psychically that you insist on holding on to. Well, you said that, I think, last night, or maybe it was today, that Irish Americans tend to be more Irish than the Irish. Yeah. And that was yeah. definitely my experience in the 70s. Yeah. Irish Americans were not so. Yeah. And the Irish were like, oh, God, stop. Stop I just can't bullshit. believe that on, on, in March I can walk into like J.C. Petty and see a t-shirt that says Irish drinking team and yes, everyone's exactly. cool with that. Yeah. Hey, no problem. Yeah. Pokemon <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> um, but actually Bridget and I were talking about it before you got here that it could be, it doesn't have to be political. It could be as simple as that's what you're thinking about. I, I, when I started writing stories when I was a kid, I wrote about places I hadn't been because right. I was, I want to go somewhere. So I'm going to write about it for a while. Bridget, you know, still writes about Montana. I know. I, I, I've, I was thinking that my newest book has some very small scenes set in San Francisco. And it's the first time I've ever written about San Francisco. I've lived here almost 20 years. And, and I, I, I think that is the sort of overall general experience with, with writers and writing. There is something about always going back to our birthplace. Mm-hmm. You know, I our, agree. Our mother land. You know, it's, 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 it's in our DNA. It's very powerful stuff. 
or going back to a place that you felt a connection to. Absolutely. And that in, in so many ways, you know, I've just finished reading Bridget's Fabulous Broadstrokes. And, and, you know, you and Oprah. Recovering, recovering women from history, revising history, like yeah. correcting the forgotten. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think maybe there's a part of me that, you know, keep, and again, I'm not conscious of this, but I'm trying to, I'm asking myself the question as you're asking me and thinking about it. And maybe there's a part of me that I want to revise so much of my Irish experience or I, hmm. I want to have wow. it be richer and bigger and better than what I had. Um, Is that a little bit like, sense? well, it, it sounds a little bit like uh, writing an autobiographical character who's better than you are. I'm definitely obsessed with the better than I am, <laughs> totally. for sure, for sure. You put um, him in a position, or, or her, you put him in a position where you're like, if I had just done that, right. this would have worked right. out that way. Yeah. I feel like also for myself, when I was a child was when I was the best observer. Hmm. And that my childhood memories are much more vivid than later memories. That's really interesting you said that for me, and I was thinking about that a lot with, with this book, is what I most remember from my childhood, absolutely an observer, but not just an observer. I, I felt like, what the hell is wrong with all the adults? They yes. can't see. You know, they really were not aware of dynamics. And, you know, I, I was very keyed into danger and tension and oh my god exactly the same like the nicest man you could meet or or whatever the situation (laughs) was i would be like what is wrong with you he's a creep he's you know they they just they just did not seem to be paying attention i completely agree it's so maddening and frustrating and you're kind of waving your arms and 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 i don't think it's the normal sort of the kid feeling like they know everything it really is a frustration of you're not listening and you're not Mm. seeing I agree. I, I, I think you said that so perfectly. I never thought of it that way before. In that vein, then, yes. do you ever write a story to correct something that had happened? I, I think I'm doing that with this novel. I'm working my second novel mm-hmm. now. I have a, a female protagonist. I, I think I'm doing that. I love her. She's very strong, very resourceful, very empowered. And I think it's a way of me creating like sort of the even though it's a very realistic novel and it's a very traditional narrative, but there's a part of me that's creating like the superhero version of me. <laughs> you know, the, like what you just said a few minutes ago about, you know, looking back, I could have, should have, would have. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we're not going to get rich off of this. Yeah. At least grant us that. We get to live out our fantasies <laughs> exactly. and make these perfect versions of us. Oh, and yes, and I've talked about that, you know, in a recent interview. It's just like the power to do whatever I want. And, and if I can use that for good... You know, if it's only even that, you know, you, Larry, read the book or read a chapter and, and afterwards text your son and say, hey, how are you doing? Yeah. You know, but that's, that's amazing. a tiny moment, but... Yeah. You are Billy Brennan then in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and how, how much would Billy Brennan have loved to have been able to check in with Michael? You know, uh, and, and, you know. That made reading it very hard. Yeah. To yeah. think about that. Yeah. I cried a lot when I read it. I have to say. I did. Um, but I... But... <laughs> I can't overstate people buy the book and read it. It's not it's not sad in that way. It's sad in the human no. way. And what's interesting Humanity, about Humanity. It, it's sad. I was gonna say it was inspirational. I don't think I would say it's uplifting, but yeah. I think I would call it inspirational and what's interesting is how gradually that unfolds. Right. It takes a long time to become inspirational and when it does, not to give too much away, but 
the moments when it switches to being inspirational are so small yeah. that you could miss them. I'm thinking in specifically about the son, John, mm-hmm. the moment that he kind of, I don't doesn't get over it, but the moment he kind of clicks, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. resist, resist, resist. Okay. Yeah. And it's so anger, s- anger, push back, push away, right. you know, but it's subtle. And I love books like that where if you're a bad reader, which I can be, you're just like, why are these people such jerks to him? Stop. Just be nice. And then we're gradually like, okay, I, I see what's going on here. And they're all the product of the same environment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're all sort of caught up in the way it is. And again, I, I just had to be real. And I, I, I just couldn't bring myself to having, if you will, the Hollywood moment. You know, it's right. not real. And, and, you know, the book starts... Five weeks after they've lost Michael, it ends, I think, around the 10th month mark after they lose him. Like, grief is a, it's a long process, you know, and especially something as brutal as that. So I, I just couldn't sew it all up at the end, and, and they all lived. They all lived. They all lived. <laughs> yes. That's, That's kind of where they I They all lived, it. which is they all lived. very realistic. A blessing and a curse. Yes. They're, they're all doing their best. You have you the know. scene where they all embrace, you know. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't make that happen. <clears throat> but it's. It, I, I feel like you took a risk in making I did. characters. Because, I mean, like I said before, Billy is very sympathetic. And he's easy to sympathize with. He's a big fat guy trying to lose weight. Yeah. You know, and he's clearly devastated. Yeah. We see everything from his point of view, and we just see how people play off of him, and they're not as sympathetic. It's yeah. harder to understand why, oh, so his wife's response is to recoil yeah. in disgust. Yeah. If I'm 400 pounds, I'm already assuming she's disgusted, but I think you pull it off. Thank you. Yeah, I, and again, it was just a question of, I knew I took, I took so many risks, and... There were several drafts where I tried to make it more readable, more digestible, you know, simpler, if you will. And that was a disservice to my characters. It was a disservice to the readers. Um, You know, the book will land where it will land. And I just came to peace with that. And, and, you know, it's not going to hit all the places. I think a more, you know, straightforward narrative would. But I think it brings something else to the table. And I'm... You know, I'm just going to let it let it be in the world. Do you think that you could write a novel with fewer drafts than you put into this one? For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, this one started life as a short story, right? Started life as a short story. I mentioned that last night. And, and I, I made the mistake of clobbering together my various drafts of the short story. And, you know, when I got to the point where I realized, now this is actually a novel, <laughs> I wish I'd started from the blank page. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think... But you many, never did that, right? No, I know. And, and that's why I think it took so many drafts to get it, you know, where it was what to me felt like a seamless you know what? story. I, I'm curious about this. So last night, uh, we're just going to keep talking about last night so our listeners go. There's a really night, cool night. thing that happened that you weren't part of. That's why everyone um, should start going to yes. book launch parties Absolutely. and to readings. They're really fun. Because that's, what, fun. that's where it had, happens, man. Uh, you had mentioned several times your um, writer's group. Yes. The Exalted Writers Group. <laughs> now, I know that that writers group includes uh, Grotto Pod executive producer Lee Kravitz, yep. all-around inspirational guy, rabbi yeah, to everyone. I love Lee. He's fabulous. How do you bring a novel into a writers group with nonfiction writers? Uh, 
well, Lee, I, I don't think he's published fiction yet, but he, he writes fiction also. And so we, uh, but, you know, writing is writing and, and, and uh, it has its nonfiction or not, you know, there, there are ways to do it and craft it. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I think we're all good readers. You've got to be a good reader to, to be, even hope to be a good writer. So I think we're just, we had really good chemistry in the group. We're all good readers. And I know if Lee were here, he would say he got excellent feedback. He, he gave it to us fiction writers, and we fiction writers in turn gave it to him, uh, a nonfiction writer. If Lee were here, I'd know I'd be inspired. <laughs> you can only, you can only be come inspired. away from Lee yeah. inspired. Yeah. Yes. That is Absolutely. actually true. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we can't really get through this without asking about the elephant in the room, not to be too literal, but... You chose to write from the point of view of a 400-pound man. Yes. You, as you stated last night, you're clearly not a 400-pound man. Correct. Explain the thought process that went into choosing that. Uh, well, you know, I, I, the seed was that snatch of conversation, you know. The, you know, the grief might just kill her before her weight does. And that stayed with me. Um, mm. And and so I, I feel like the story initially chose me, and then it was writing it out and the drafts and... and and realizing, oh, it's Billy Brennan, and and you know, getting the premise down, and just realizing I, I had so many stops and starts. Like same question to myself: Why am I telling this story? Why is he four hundred pounds? You know, why male? All of that um, was the four hundred pounds. I felt like you were trying to make the point that by losing weight, he suddenly became visible. Absolutely, absolutely, and. and Thank you. Even though he was hard to miss. Yeah, thank you. for Because that gets back to a little bit of what I just talked about earlier, like very strong memories as a child. Um, and I, I mentioned that last night. You know, I am a survivor of, of sexual and physical childhood abuse. And, and I was very, very self-conscious as a child and still am in many ways as an adult where I felt like everybody was staring at me. Everybody somehow knew, even though it was secret and silent, they somehow knew how disgusting I was because that's just the interior struggle that I had and that most victims of abuse have. And even so, so I didn't want to be seen. And yet even within that, within my own body, there was the girl, the spirit crying out like somebody noticed there's something wrong here. I'm hurting I'm being hurt. Help me. So is that, you know, dichotomy and that internal struggle within myself of I'm so seen, nobody's seeing me, mm-hmm. unseen, mm-hmm. unseen. And so, you know, it's it's hard for me to say that because I, I, I'm aware that listeners might not get that. Like, how the hell do you think you can inhabit a 400-pound body and identify with his struggle? But I very much identify with the struggle of being large so therefore you would imagine people are very aware of you but in fact people have dismissed you they don't so so you're unseen and so that irony i resonate with that i resonate with body shame i resonate with an unhealthy relationship with the body where you do feel disgusting and just keep kind of hiding within yourself that's what i was just going to say not only that but when he started losing weight there were moments when he missed it Absolutely. Absolutely. And then again, you know, as I have on my own journey to recovery, that sense of, you know, the true me inside without, again, sounding too woo woo. But as I was coming out, there was also a sense of my, oh, no, I kind of like hiding inside myself, you know, because if I come out, then I have to be ironically 
bigger than I mm-hmm. am. I can't kind of stay small and contained. I have to show my true self. And it takes a lot of courage. You're very it does. Well, Especially because if that self is dismissed, exactly. that's soul killing. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yes. and also, as we discussed earlier, culturally, it kind of goes against the culture. Yes. Don't make waves. Yes. Adults exactly. used to always say when I was a kid, children are meant to be seen and not heard. <laughs> and that was repeated and over and over. Irishism. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Repeated over and over yeah. and over again. And it's something yeah, where yeah. I'm such a loudmouth person now. I think a lot of that was like, see me, see me, see me, yeah. see me, see me, see me, see me, see me, yeah. and hear me, hear me, yeah, hear, me, me, hear, me hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. That way, it's help, help my son. The doctor's drowning. <laughs> yeah. um, last night you had said, and again, I apologize to those of you that weren't there last night. You're lost. Missed out. But Ethel's um, gonna be around. That's true. Well, She's well, gonna be around. Again. Um, you had said, which kind of struck me that. It was a novel of abuse. Did I say that? Yeah. What did you mean by that? Did I say that? Larry? You did. I, I wrote it down. You want to see my notes? Oh, my God. Uh, novel a novel of abuse. Of abuse. Well, you know, being, you know, ignoring somebody, dismissing them, um, yeah. devaluing them. I think you were talking about that, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, that's abuse. I mean, mm-hmm. that is abuse. I, I, you know, this... I don't know why I'm jumping to this, but I, my immediate thought is there's such talk now about, you know, political correctness and, you know, one side is totally dismissive of it. Oh, God, you know, we all have to be right. so politically correct now. And I am outraged because I'm like, it's not political correctness. It is about equality. Is it about acceptance? It is about love. It is about uh, I am not better than you. We are of equal worth, you know. And so I think there's a little bit of of the book highlighting how much we do discredit each other and how much there is a lack of um, just respect, you know, um, that type of thing. So, yeah, I think it's abusive to to consider another person less than or unworthy of. Um, and also Billy is, is self-abusive, you know, mm-hmm. like, the, like the eating. And again, I very much brought my personal experience to that. You know, his relationship to food, in one way, it's a great source of comfort. I think that's a semi-universal relationship. Really? Yeah. Who is that not idea. a relationship with food, right? I mean, I'm trying to drop a few pounds right now. I'm reading those passages about him. Like, actually, last night, I walked from Upper Haight to the 16th Street Mission Station. And when I got home, I said to my, do you have any idea how many taquerias I passed? <laughs> And pizza places. Yes. And Were you bars. proud of yourself? You become so aware. Uh, yeah, I guess. I was proud. I'm kind of like, oh, jeez. No, and more like, why can't you just be a person who could have a burrito? Right. And that'd be right. fine. Just because one. if you had a burrito, you'd have two burritos? Now I want to know. No, actually, the problem oh. would be if I had a burrito. So I've been good for like a month. Oh, I see. 10 yeah. pounds down. Yeah. If you have a burrito, the spell Larry. is broken. Larry, you just good. said, I've, I've been, been good. good. Like, yeah. we, exactly. we have such internalized, exactly. the messages we get are so powerful, right. you know, about, you know, what determines our value and what makes us ex- not only acceptable to others, but pleasing to others. Oh, yes. yeah. And, and this idea that, now, of course, women, 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 they, we absolutely, we, we get the brunt of that for sure. But but men are. Yeah, I'm not. here to tell you, you don't have the exclusive franchise. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, so podcaster I, Vinnie Tortorich says uh, something like, "Human beings are the only animals who, when they don't eat, say that's being good." <laughs> really? Like that's a really? good thing. I didn't eat yeah. today. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. But yeah. on the other hand, sitting around your house, you know, like listening. Oh, the jar of peanut butter's calling me. That can't be good. 
I mean, that's not like it's actually I need one of to stay alive. It's like oh, sure. there's well, something going on here. And this is where we here. talk about like you know a healthy relationship, right? You know, uh, and 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 what is that, and what does it look like? And I think we just need a broader definition of what it is. You know, I could go on forever about you know ideals of beauty and whatnot. We need a broader. Uh, image like we need to eat we just need to be kind you know what we need to do we need to look at artwork through <laughs> history and cultures you know, it would be cool if there was a book we could get yeah that highlighted i agree artwork. but it is true so i just to, not not to plug my book art, art i heard our work i'm like hey. <laughs> no art yeah. but uh, but um not to plug my book, Broad Strokes, but uh, I was also an art history teacher to ninth graders for seven or eight years. And that was something I realized after just a little while, that it was really important to bring different images of beauty yeah, that's to true. teenagers who are seeing the same thing yes. over and yes. over and over again. And yeah. their reactions and their gratitude and their Absolutely. excitement. And, and not even uh, different images of beauty, but different images of the human body. Yes, oh, right? totally. You know, the sculptures Absolutely. and the paintings. Yeah. The, you know. But in the issue of the weight of him, and Billy's issue, I think you're—you wrote it, but it's here's what little, you're getting at. Uh, no, I love that. That's the that's, issue. That's what happens. The right? issue you put is him in the world, and, but the issue with him isn't you know ideas of beauty and being Eastern. The issue is he's not eating because he's hungry. You know, right? Yeah, right. He's eating because yes. he's stressed out, and that's what he does, and that's what you know. I I, I feel I know that. Like, ah, yeah. oh, I got some bad news. Where are the chips? Yeah. To, to have chosen this time the most stressful period of his life yeah. to take away that security blanket is pretty telling. Wow, yes. yes. Right. Absolutely. That's huge. Yeah. So I don't know if it's really like, just accept your 400 pounds, Billy, because I happen to be surrounded by people who go, well, you know, there's heart disease in your family. Yeah. Which is legit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I couldn't weigh 400 pounds. I go, it's cool, man. Here I am. Check yeah. out my body type. Yeah. Be like, well, yeah. I will for the next two years and then you'll be dead. Yeah. I mean, can we talk a little bit about no. the elephant in the Absolutely room not. that, in my experience, I resent at least, being called an elephant. <laughs> as writers, you know, one of the reasons I originally really liked coming to the grotto, and now I like coming for all reasons, <laughs> was that I did not have access to my full kitchen at oh. all moments. It was only the lunch I had brought with me because I really eat anxiously while yeah. I'm writing. Yeah. So, you know, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, my history with food is very complicated. It is now, thankfully, much, much healthier than it was, but, um, Yes, Billy and I have very similar <laughs> traits in that he uses food both as comfort, uh, yes, as a tool, as a crutch, um, but he also, it, it it turns at certain points and it becomes like self-punishment, mm-hmm. self-abuse. Um, and, and that was my own experiences as a child and as a teenager, you know, where sometimes it was comfort, sometimes it felt good, like this, this is pleasant. And then other times it was my mirroring how I felt about my body. And it's like, I am disgusting. And so May I as well just confirm it. Exactly. Yeah. Eat to the point where I felt like physically ill and, and stuffed. <laughs> what you got to do is follow that up with a nice trip to the mirror. Yeah. And just go, you are disgusting. <laughs> nice work. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. The mirror. Yes. So... Yeah, it, yeah, I, I did. I got sort of the gnarly out in well, the book, but it, you know, again, it, it was—it's just about being honest and true, and 
Yeah, I, I think there's so many people. I, I, I personally do not know anybody who has a healthy relationship with food or their body, and I know a lot of people. Well, that brings up a larger issue. <laughs> I'll bet you do. Like a lot of I'm going to say my husband. It's so enraging. Yeah, my wife, but too. But that's great. No, that's yeah. fantastic. I love hearing yeah. that. She can He's... have one Hershey's miniature. But, um, but Rick can do I mean, Roy can do either. <laughs> <laughs> he, do, he truly has the most healthy relationship with food of anyone I've ever met. He's just amazing. Not to change the subject back yeah. to writing, but that brings up a larger writerly point. So I think you had mentioned this last night that we tend to return to themes over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I personally will use writing as a way not to excise issues, but to explore issues. Absolutely, yeah. So when you finish a book like this and having just recounted how personal some of the issues are for you, yeah. is it a cathartic experience then? Or are you going to keep going? Next one, same issues. Let's go back. Let's keep talking about this stuff. I, I would. I never intentionally do it. I don't think any writer intentionally goes. Oh, I'm. You know, this is my. These are my obsessions. These are. You know, and and that's what I'm going to write about. I actually think what's true of me is is more generally true, and that is I, I actually resist because mm. I think I don't want to be repetitive. I don't mm. want to go back there. You know, mm-hmm. let's push myself to see what else have I got to say. Um, but I think ultimately, however conscious it is, how much we do not want it to happen. You know. I think they all, those threads just keep coming up. Well, we're going to write about the stuff we're interested in. Yeah, and, and the, stuff, the stuff we feel deeply about, the stuff that enrages us, you know. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and that will change as I change, right, and as my, as my <laughs> journey changes and, and I become, I, f- I feel stronger about different things or whatever, you know. Well, that's actually an issue that Shanti uh, Sacrin brought up when we had asked her about writing about uh, a Mexican woman. When she's mm-hmm. not a Mexican woman, she says, well, they say write what you know. But writing what you know is writing about the issues and the themes that are basically your obsessions. Right, right. So that's what you do. So right. you're saying it's not that Ethel knows what it is to be a 400-pound man. Correct. But that these are her. Uh, you know, but just out of curiosity, and one of the things that Shanti said that I thought was, you know, really so – um, wise and broad-minded was that as fiction writers, you have to be able to write about anything, that that has to be open to you. It's how you do it. And it's I wonder, but would I be as open, me personally, to a male writer writing about a 400-pound woman? Yeah. Would I be? Maybe if he did it with the same <sighs> level of compassion, a, but it does a, feel different, right? That, well, I think that would be P- a PR nightmare. Oh, it might I be. Know, I never thought about that. But it, it yeah. might. It might be. But yeah. but it uh, it sets up something in me immediately, like right. of judgment or of, right. and that's me, of Who course. Does he think he is? Right. Or he and and is she going to be held up for mockery or, or because yeah. the male gaze? That's a very art historical yeah. thing. Mm. Is so much part of our right. uh, uh, how we see the world, our lens on the world. So it feels unfair. Whereas your take feels less so. Is that just because I'm a woman? Do you think it's okay she wrote about a four hundred pound man? Tell me, Larry. We live in interesting yeah, times. We do yeah. live in interesting times. Um, and I worry some because I actually like writing a female protagonist mm-hmm. <clears throat> only because I'm not very creative and I always have someone in mind mm-hmm. and I'm kind of exploring them. But I worry if I write a female protagonist and she's irrational, Right. is that, well, there you go. You know, that's what you think of women, huh? Whereas, I mean, if a woman writes about, you know, some Yahoo bro, no one's going to take her to task. I don't, I don't know. I think if you do it badly, you should be taken to task. Yeah. Well, that's the bottom yeah. line. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're if usually what we think of as as uh, biased or 
politically incorrect writing. It's just bad writing. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, it's I like agree. you don't yeah. understand what it's like to be a Mexican immigrant. Right. Well, Shanti does and because she, she's a really good writer. Yeah. Right. And she yeah. took the time to yeah, find she, out. Well, that's part yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Time and care. And I, I think we, sorry, we should always be asking myself, like, am I the best person to tell this story? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just not a lot of protagonists out there like Billy. You know? mm-hmm. Right. And so... I saw an opportunity to write a character like him into the center, and I was very excited by that. Um, well, and I, and I have to say, I was ready because we had had a conversation. Because the first we, I said, well, we all we only have women in here, man. Like when we had Josh, we're like, I finally get to read a guy, and she's like, well, Ethel's book has a male protagonist. I don't know, you know, if a male written by a woman will feel different to you. I said, all right, I'm ready for this. <laughs> I'll have my little horns up. And how was it for you? That's it was good. You oh, know? good. See. Um, you know, and that. fatherhood is kind of my theme That's that right. I like to explore, and um, it came off as, yeah, it was legit. Good. I'm not going to take you. you to task. That's Thank my you. review of the weight of him. Authentic. Would you give me authentic? Yes, I'll just take authentic. Authentic. Mm. Yeah. Well, we are. Uh, we're out of time. Wow. That's it. So easy to talk That's to That's it Apples. for the grotto pod. That was wonderful. You Thank can tell you when, when my head starts glowing from sweat really, that we've been I, in I, here I, for an hour I, and a half. Speaking of weight and bodies, I think I've Do you think we should ever pounds. worry that we could die of <laughs> carbon dioxide? <laughs> Perhaps. I wanted to well, know. I bet you're in your heads going, okay, note to self, never ever have an author in the night or the day after her, uh, book, her boozy book launch. No, my question for you was, and I thought this the moment you sat down, apropos of nothing. Is what you're wearing sweats or trainers? Sweats. Yes. Welcome to America. <laughs> Ethel Rowan has been Tracksuit. our guest. Uh, Ethel, tell us how we can get a hold of you. Uh, my website, ethelrohan.com. I'm on Twitter at Ethel Rohan. I'm on Facebook, uh, The Grotto Pod. Guys, follow us. Yeah. I'm now, I'm now part of this tribe. Yes, so. and if you could give us a retweet, too, when we post oh, this. Oh, for sure. For that sure. would be yeah. awesome. Now, thank you for what you do. It's just another way of, of getting books and, and writers and the written word out there, and we're, we're very grateful. And thank you. Lovely. We are your host. You can follow me at that Larry Rosen. You can follow The Grotto Pod at The Grotto Pod. Facebook slash Grotto Pod. And if you can't get enough of me, you can listen to my other podcast at isitgoodforthejews.com. BQ, how can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at, at bequinterest or at bridgetquinnauthor.com. And what book should they go buy after they buy The Weight of Him? After they buy The Weight of Him, of course, they should pre-order um, Broad Strokes, although maybe... Maybe it's already out. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Buy so buy them together. Buy The Weight of Him and buy it. Broad a Strokes. Two-pack. A two-pack. Right. Yes, you're already there. Not Tupac, Save time. a two-pack. No, not two-pack. That's it. Take us home. All right, friends. Read, write, and just keep working. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.